The vice president of the United States was not having a good day when November 22nd began. But then, he had not been having many good days lately. As he rode through the streets of Dallas, he was 75 feet behind the president and Governor Conley, the distance prescribed by the Secret Service. Really, though, he was much, much farther away from the president. The morning papers were filled with stories of the snub, Senator Yarborough's adamant and repeated refusal to ride in the same car as Johnson. It was a deliberate, calculated, and successful exercise in humiliation, and humiliation was what Lyndon Johnson had feared all his life, back to his childhood days, when his neighbors would look pitifully on his once prosperous and successful father, who had been reduced to menial labor. He still bore the sting of last night's tongue-lashing from John Kennedy in the President's Fort Worth Hotel suite. The Secret Service agents guarding the suite said Johnson had bolted from the room, face flushed with fury or embarrassment or both. It was the latest full-frontal example of what he had endured for almost three years, the scorn and the mockery of the well-born, well-educated Kennedy clan. Rufus Cornpone, they called him behind his back the exclusion from any hint of power or responsibility, the refusal to listen to his advice on how to work the Congress that he knew so well and had mastered for so long. It wasn't Jack Kennedy who was doing this, he was sure. It was that snot-nosed runt Bobby, the man who had tried to throw him off the ticket after Jack picked him, the man who'd humiliated him time after time at meetings of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission the man who'd reduced him to the stature, as he put it to friends, of a cut dog. Well, maybe he'd had enough. More than once he thought about chucking it, going back to Texas, maybe running his old alma mater, Southwest Texas State Teachers College. He'd even told an old friend that this Friday evening he was going to tell Jack that he wasn't going to run again in 64. Then again, Threatening to quit was something he'd said at one time or another in just about every campaign he'd ever run. Now Senator Yarborough was sitting beside him. The president had more or less ordered him to do so on pain of political isolation, but he refused to say so much as a word with Lyndon or with Lady Bird. For her part, Lady Bird was obsessing over the impending visit of the Kennedys later that evening to the LBJ ranch after the Austin fundraiser. Would they have the right food, the right liquor, the right wine, the right bath soap? Would the entertainment be welcomed or scorned as the stuff of rubes, hicks? Nor was Johnson in any mood to exchange pleasantries. His thoughts were back in Washington, where a threat to his political future was growing more serious by the day. His longtime Senate protege, Bobby Baker, a young man he'd installed as secretary of the Senate, his vote counter, his dispenser of campaign cash and favors of every sort, had become caught up in a firestorm. A small legal dispute over a vending machine contract, Baker owned a piece of the company, had exploded into charges of influence peddling, pay-to-government contracts. The press began asking how a man with a net worth of $11,000 in 1954 could have a net worth of nearly $1.8 million nine years later while serving full-time on the government payroll. And then sex had been added to the combustible mix. Baker owned the Carroll Arms Hotel, close by Capitol Hill, where, the stories went, important government officials and prostitutes found common ground.
From the moment the Baker story surfaced, Johnson had panicked. He'd cut short an official visit to Europe and used his clout in Texas to make sure none of the state's papers published a story by a Washington journalistic gadfly named Sarah McClendon. The story appeared in an obscure wire service, but that was enough to put the tale in circulation. Johnson then tried to distance himself from Baker. He claimed he barely knew the man that his fellow Democrats had chosen Baker as Secretary of the Senate, but the idea was laughable on its face. Baker's nickname on the Hill was Little Linden, and when Life magazine published a cover story on the scandal, the Bobby Baker case, Scandal Grows and Grows in Washington, the piece made prominent mention of the close ties between Baker and Johnson. So on this late morning of November 22nd, riding through the light rain in downtown Dallas,